Welcome to DM to GM. I'm your DM, Russ Moore, from Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm your GM, Sean Howard, from The End of Time and Other Bothers. And with us today, a very special guest. I'm Tiffany Alvord. I am a GM for North by Northwest. I am one of a few. Thank you very much for being here with us today. What we do here on dm to gm is we answer your questions to help you feel more comfortable around the gaming table. Um, but let's just jump into some mailbag questions. We have a couple questions uh, that came from our Discord. Uh, one from Kathy and one from No Skill Kill, and they're looking to get into world building and building their, out their own game. But Kathy asks, if you create your own world, how much world building do you do before starting the game? And how much do you let your players know in advance? Oh, wait for the end of this uh, one, Tiffany. You got to wait for the end of this ooh, one. All right. She, she says, I, I think I tend to overprep this a lot, saying this after I have made a campaign guide for my players with 15 pages. <laughs> <laughs> that was sent to them. That's amazing. Um, yeah. What I will say is, first and foremost, no prep is wasted if you use it at some point. It might not be the session you True. prepped it for. Maybe it's 10 sessions down the road. But if you use it at any point, that is not wasted prep. Second to that, the amount of world building you do, I think, varies greatly by DM and their comfort level. I am not a... So we homebrew everything for North by Northwest. Um, and so I just did a whole fairy tale world. That was my world for our volume we just did. Most of my prep was reading fairy tales so that I had a lot of things just in my head to pull at any moment. So we could come into a town I wasn't prepared for, but I could pull some kind of imagery and keep it consistent because I just had read all these things. Outside of that, I didn't do that much world building in all honesty. I figured out kind of the structure of the world, some base structure, some hierarchy, and a little bit of like feel and flavor and what I needed for my campaign. And then I improved everything else. Um, but there are other GMs who want to have it all written out so that they then feel comfortable. Um, I really think it depends on the world you're building and what you're doing. Um, my husband, David, who is also one of our GMs, because we rotate, he did a post-apocalyptic world. So he had to do a lot more world building because he had to not just figure out the post-apocalypse, but he had to figure out what society was like before that. What was the inciting incident that created an apocalypse? So he almost had to do three times the world building to figure that out. Um, and he also just likes to do more of that than I do. So I don't have a great set 100% answer for you because I do think it does depend on your preferred style and what you're doing. Um, but I do think at the bare minimum, you should have a basic idea of how the world functions and how things connect together. Because I found once I knew that, I could improv infinitely better. And my story stayed rich enough. So that's my take nice. on world yeah, building. I, <laughs> I think it's great. Um, it, it, it even answers one of the follow-up questions. How did you go about building your world and homebrewing a campaign? Um, Sean, you live in a homebrewed world in and of a sense uh, that I have no control over that you have no longer control <laughs> over but 
at one point you thought you did yes, have control. I did. So how did you plan that and what would you have changed to get to that point? Well, I think Tiffany did a really good job at addressing how you go about world building. I think that's what I'll focus on is dodging Russ's question. I guess what I'll focus <laughs> on is um, how much you tell the players and how you tell the players. So I'm a big, here we go with a segue, Walter Murch. I love Walter Murch. He is a director and sound designer that he's brilliant. And so um, a lot of movies, um, Walter Murch movies, there, there's not a cacophony of sound. He, he talks about how he just, if you had a car break down on the side of the road and it's a dark mystery and you've got to get across it, there's cars racing by and you're broken down. Like he originally, when he started, he put in cars and all these sounds and there's a garage nearby and and the final film has a sound, one sound in it. It's a wrench falling and hitting the floor, a concrete floor. And instantly, everyone knows where you are. You're at the rolled over at a side of a road. There's a gas station or something nearby where there's a mechanic. So the idea is, how do you give color when you're introducing a story? So I don't like sending my players 15 pages because none of them will read it. But yeah, um, I say not. this after, yeah, after sending yeah. 72 pages to Russ for tomorrow's one shot. Um, <laughs> right? But it's fine. But I guess what I would say is like, I like to think about when you're world building, I agree with Tiffany, however you want to do it, however crazy you want to get, um, it's not wasted. If you get, It's going to influence somehow. But what I like to think is what you then need to think about what is the lens by which you explain or introduce your world to your players. And the more you can think about the how you turn your world building into the places, how those places feel, that in through descriptions and et cetera, and the interesting people and the powerful motivations of those people. If you can translate all that world building into that, how you introduce a place, what's weird about it, how the people act, then you've, I think, gone and taken your world and you're going to make it so real for the players without having to share very little, very little in advance. Yeah. Your players will not read your 15 pages. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this now. I know you were very excited about them. I am positive. They won't read it. I know if my GM, like I wouldn't if someone handed me 15 pages and it's not because I don't want to, it's just because life and time and stuff happens. Um, but I do think uh, you're right in that it's less about dumping all of your world onto your players and it's more about p giving them the pieces they need to build the scene. Um, so like I played in the post-apoc setting. Uh, David told us it's post-apocalyptic it used to be very high tech. Now, after this, basically magic is gone. There's no tech. Like, it's very much a dead land. You're in like a Wild West, new Fallout New Vegas type of place. Um, so we just had that feeling, which meant when we came in, we could start thinking through things because we knew the feel of the world. And then he could give us more and more as we went. Um so I think it's how you paint that picture, just like you were saying. That's the most important for the player. So I think it boils down to if you need to write those 15 pages for yourself in order to, um, to be comfortable in the world, in order to explain it to your players, write them. If it needs to be 80 pages, write them. If it needs to be one page, go for it. Um, it, it gameplay all 
comes down to, I think, how comfortable you are in what you are doing. And if you walk into a game and you feel doubtful in, you know, being able to answer a question, maybe you haven't done enough or maybe you, you maybe you're in an okay position because a little doubt is okay because it could create something new within your world as well. Yeah. The, the one caveat I'll throw in is Kathy talks about on the follow-up, or maybe it was Nosco. It might be Kathy, I think. Um, yeah. You know, what do you do about non-existent? She talks about a few things, but let's talk, or they talk about a few things. Let's talk about magic. Um, if you're going to have a mechanic in your world that is unique to your world, then you do have to figure out a way to share that. But you can boil that <laughs> down to the mechanics or how it looks or behaves. And I got to say, we've talked about this before, that is a real advantage of a based on the apocalypse or a fake core or a system where you can more easily create a move or introduce a new way things happen. Um, it's a little harder to do that in D&D. So if you are going to recreate how something works, then just work that up as a sheet and have it on the table at the day and then explain it to everyone. Here's how magic works. It's a little different um, and you're done. Yeah, I agree with that because uh, we've had that where it's just like this thing impacts it this way and I will tell you that before you show up so that you know. Um, but I think even if you're adjusting a D&D mechanic, uh, th the players having that will also force them to come and approach things differently, which is a really cool thing and will lead to stuff you've never expected before. <laughs> so I think it's cool. Do it. Take Do it, away Kathy. their magic. They'll freak Absolutely. out. <laughs> <laughs> no more magic. Wait a second. We started off with 15 pages. Now there's no more magic. Wait, yeah, oh, everyone was going to play a magic user. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, great answers. I love it. Uh, let's go on to the next question from our Discord as well, from Belsonic, who asks, how to stay true to the Star Wars IP in a game? <laughs> they say, how would you go about setting a game in an IP that's constantly evolving? Maintaining continuity is very important to me, but the latest thing that released is making me have to do some hard readjustments in the course of the story. The system I'm playing is Star Wars FFG system, by the way. Um, so, I mean, there's a few IPs like that, that we can, like even the, the magic kingdom or stranger things or star Wars, when you pick that, how closely do you want to stick to that? Um, so I would say take a page out of the fan writers, the fan authors book. Uh, if you've read any fan fiction of any kind of IP, um, that changes or new releases happen, there will be a little note that says in the description for the story, this canon compliant. So I did a lot of Harry Potter. It would say fifth book canon. And it'll just tell you, I'm taking everything to this point, And then from that point on, I'm ignoring it. I'm making my own story. Um, so I would say pick your timeline and just let your players and stuff know, hey, we're canon, we're compliant until this point. And everything after this is just our own story and we're going to ignore it um, unless something comes up and you guys agree together that that thing should come into the story. Um, but that would be my suggestion. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, uh, so I understand your problem and dilemma <laughs> with constant new Star Wars. Uh, but yeah, I, I would just be up front and all agree on the timeline. Personally. Yeah, I really like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, no, I don't know if I have much else that could be added to that. It's kind of what I was thinking is yeah, you it, it it sounds like it's becoming 
more of a headache to try and keep it consistent. So you almost have to look at it as to why are you making the change after you've started playing. Um, and I like the timeline, you know, the, the, the back to the future style timeline where the whiteboard and the timelines can, you know, diverge at a certain point. So your story exists within your canon now and JJ Abrams story exists within his can canon now better or worse. It doesn't really matter, but you can pick and choose what kind of bleed over as you see, you know, that cool thing happened. And I want that in there, just find a way to work it in, but I wouldn't recommend ever completely reworking a world or a mm -hmm. thing to accommodate something after you've already begun because that sounds like a lot of work so much work yeah <laughs> i think if if you're the kind of person that um has to have it all match then don't play in that world um or put yourself so far removed you create a new planet that no one's discovered in the Star Wars world, Star Wars world and you play on that world and you can bring in news over the whatever technology that they hear about the rebellion or whatever. Um but it sounds like knowing Belsonic and some of their conversation um Belsonic you either need to be okay with it as discussed with canon or you need to lean into it hard. That's what I would do, but again I'm probably not the same. So I think you lean into the fact that your world doesn't match. So start asking yourself, why is our world different? Are, have, is everybody suddenly fall over asleep and wakes up and they don't know where they are? Is there a <gasps> paradox? Have we time jumped? Is, is there actually something around this sector of the universe that is out of sync with the rest of time? Anyways, like lean into a heart. Say, you know what? We don't match. And there's a reason, and it's going to drive your players nuts. But as they start to realize it's a mystery, it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I really like that. That's I have so many ideas now for your campaign if you want to <laughs> lean into this. <laughs> like I said, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. I'll do this. <laughs> no, I think I think that's cool. I, I agree. You either have to set the timeline or, like you said, just lean into being different. Yeah. And it's okay to be, you can still be the same while being different mm -hmm. too. Like you can still have, you can still have the force and you can still have lightsabers and you can still have the, how the base mechanics of the world work. Um, but it's multiverse you know. theory at this point. Yeah. <laughs> That's what everybody's doing now. They're big on those multiverses that way. It's an easy rewrite and it's re-explained. Comic books yeah. have done it since the beginning of time. Yeah. yeah. Again, from our discord, come join us on our discord link down in the description. Uh, Models asks a couple questions. Uh, the first one, when do you give up on a group? Oh, give up on a group. Okay. The context for this, uh, we know, uh, just helps set it, is it's around scheduling and summer. They haven't been able to get together to play. Okay. For, okay. for some time. So I would say you have a conversation with your group and your players, and you're just going to have to be really realistic and say, Hey guys, we haven't been able to make this work. Are we all committed to still finding a time? Maybe it's a once every couple months game instead of as frequent as you want. Or if everyone just says, Hey, life is too much. And the group just agrees that it can't be a priority right now. I mean, the group agrees. And I will say the one nice thing about, uh, how popular gaming has started to kind of really become is that you can keep playing even if this one group has to dissolve. Um, 
Uh, so yeah, I when we started talking about this question, I thought it was going to go in a different way <laughs> than about your group. I we'll talk we about that too. About the GM wanting to give too. up, and I was like, I have opinions. <laughs> oh yeah, we can do that too. So the last thing I'd say is, um, don't don't wait for everyone to be there. Um, if you're not recording this, um, uh, what it's really easy to um, just cut a player out. Um, it takes a little more work to bring them back, but it's not that hard either. So don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. If three of the four people can meet, just talk to the group. Say, you know what? Let's try and do it. And if someone at the last minute is like, I can't, but three can, run the game. Um, just with, you know, run the game and just be like, come up with a reason that the one player is not there. You don't have to kill them. You know, they just, you know, a spaceship comes in and grabs. It doesn't matter what you do. Just get them out and then uh, play your game. And then you can figure out when they're yeah. back, what happened to them. Um, yeah. Critical Role actually does this. Um, one of their players doesn't isn't able to make every game. Um, and they do. They just find a reason she's not there. And then when she can make it, they bring her back in. I think that's really cool. Don't be afraid to do one shots. Take those characters, put them in a totally separate situation or find a sub quest. Like, I agree with you. If, if one player can't make it, especially if you're not recording, um, still do something. If some people can do it, then you can play a game. Um, I like to think of it as a, a, I, there was a point where I was very concerned about, you know, backstory and having characters there and why characters were coming in. And um, and then I can't remember who it was, but they told me it was basically an Adventures League kind of mentality where you never, you're, you know, in most gaming groups, you never always have the same people sit down at the table with you. So why make it? a bigger barrier for entry to get those people to the table by making sure that all of them have to be there or nothing can happen. Just make it as easy as possible. You know, they're down the street at the, at the store and you got to go right now because this is this thing's happening over here. They'll catch up to you next time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but make it make it easy on yourself. Get as many people together as you can. You can still play a game, whether it's the game you intended to play or something else. Just go play a game. Have fun. Just play a game. Just play a game. <laughs> That's all like you need. Um, models asks a second no, question. No, let's do the other version of that question. Oh, oh. okay. Never mind. We, we're doing our own questions now. Yeah. Um, so the other version would be, uh, when do you give up as a GM? And I will preface this by saying, there are some people who try GMing and just realize it is not their cup of tea. They don't like doing it. They'd rather be a player. And I think that's totally cool. On the flip side of that, um, I would say before, just if you have one bad session, it happens. Don't give up when one bad session happens. But maybe get ask for feedback from your players. See what it is you aren't enjoying and how you can change that. Um, this volume that I just finished for North by Northwest, it was my very first time GMing ever. And through it, I realized what I like, what I don't like, how to kind of give more to my party to have them going. And it's a little different since we're a podcast, but I think the idea stands. And I had a really hard time. I did not enjoy myself for quite a bit of it until I could really sink my teeth into the reason why and what it was about it that I wasn't enjoying and how to lean into the things I do enjoy and the things I'm good at and the things I like. Um, I'm not a big dramatic storyteller. I am a silly little storyteller. 
And you can do that through a campaign still. You drop your big pieces. You let your players go through it. You can still do big battles. They'll still have a great time. But you can also voice every plant and have the best time <laughs> yourself. Um, so, so I think if you can really dig in to what is that thing that you don't enjoy? What is the thing that's making it so hard for you? And how can you adjust what you're doing to make it better? Um, I learned I needed someone to bounce ideas off of for planning. I just coming up with it on my own wasn't doing it for me. So I found a person who would help me bounce things because that's how I would come up with ideas and that's how I could fill it in. Uh, so don't let one bad session stop you and ask for feedback from your players. They will tell you what they liked. They'll tell you what they don't like. You might have to push them a little to really get that feedback because they want to encourage you and tell you you're great. <laughs> uh, but just have that conversation. Yeah. I think a lot of the things that we talk about here that people have trouble with is just they they sometimes might fear hearing those things that are not great. Um, and having people that you hang out with every week or every month and playing a game and en enjoying the time together. Like you, you got to enjoy the game. You got to enjoy the game too. It's not just your game. It's not just their game. You're not running it for them so that only they have fun. Mm -hmm. You need to have fun too. Yes. Um, Cause trust so, me, if you are not having fun, you do not want to show up to the sessions and it sucks no. when you as a GM do not want to show up. <laughs> and they will not have fun because they'll know that something's wrong. They might not know exactly what it is, but they'll sense that, you know, you're not giving it your all like you did last week or you're you're feeling like something's off if it if you let it compound like that. Um, so I like to have, uh, I don't do them as often anymore, but I like to have little session debriefs, you know, like you mentioned, what did you like? What didn't you like? Why didn't this work the way I planned it? Be it a, a puzzle or a maze, as I'm <laughs> as I'm so thrown in the, under the bus. But um, why, you know, figure out what what the struggle was on their end in my descriptions or my execution of it, and vice versa. You know, how can I change that to either help with that type of encounter, or maybe you just don't do that type of encounter anymore, unless it's mazes, and then you just do them all the time. <laughs> But let's let's be, I love this. I love this conversation. But let's remember that we have to debrief with ourselves. So that's something yes. that I really took from what Tiffany was saying. Um, there are so many styles and opportunities for how to run a game. You know, um, part of the reason that the end of time and other bothers world is the way it is, is because of what I realized I enjoyed. Right. And so I came from a world of traditional DMing where the DM made every decision. And then as I started doing comedy improvisation and I love that world so much, I never changed the way my D&D games worked. Um, having a table now where everyone plays NPCs at any time and I have no idea who's going to introduce a character. Um, those are some of my favorite moments is when we're in a scene, it hits a beat and someone just comes in as the little old lady walking past or my favorite, the portal salesman. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but you know, these that's a style of game that's emerging at our table because I was realizing that's what I love. I love playing the plants or whatever pops in my head, mm -hmm. but I love it even more when my players will take on a character or an NPC. So you can, tw you can make this game any style that is, makes you feel good because it has the table having fun. 
But you got to recognize, like I had to recognize just like that. What is the parts I don't like as much? And then what's fun for me? And it turns out that's fun for the table. Yeah, I'm with you. I would I would voice any plant at any given time. I love voicing plants and animals. It is my favorite. David hates it. So um, our character, Silo, who I mentioned earlier, who's a part mushroom, uh, she's a druid. So she will talk to plants and animals. Um more plants than animals, but still. And he he would be so upset. He Every time, like he just hated it. And it got, got into my world. And I was like, I will be every plant. You want to talk to the blade of grass? It will tell you anything a blade of grass wants to tell you. <laughs> but like, <laughs> and I think, have fun with it, right? Like, like I said, she wanted to talk to a blade of grass. And then she asked the blade of grass how much time has passed. Grass doesn't have a clock. So I got to play with her even more because... I would never give her an actual answer to what she wanted because because oh, yeah. uh, time is a construct. Well, a pla- oh, yeah, yeah if the blade of grass was just like, well, the sun went up and it went down like a lot. What do you want? Yeah, my players won't take. <laughs> my players won't take speak with animals anymore because they're just like they don't tell you anything. I'm like, what do you mean? They told you what they like to eat. They told you, you know, all the things they love. They were it was- they wanted scritches. Like, come on. It was the most important conversation they'd had that day. Mm-hmm. They t- they would tell you how to get out of the maze. No, they won't tell you how to get out of the maze. They don't know. Uh, you didn't talk to that one caterpillar uh, who knew. <laughs> that's right. He was hiding in the back. He was at the bathroom break at that moment. Um, I think one other n- note there that Tiffany you brought up is uh, so it, not living in a silo as a game runner, um, having someone whether it's somebody as part of your group or someone on a discord server or someone on Twitter or Facebook, someone who, you know, that you can bounce ideas off of. Um, I know it's something that I fell into the trap of is being like, I'm the only one who can know this because then everybody know if I don't, then everybody knows it. And then the spoiler, the spoilers are out there and it's the the suspense and the illusion is gone. Um, But if you don't, you don't know necessarily. It's hard to see the forest for the tree through the trees, right? Like you, you, it gives you a little broader view and able to have somebody else pick out the things that might not be consistent or help you see something that otherwise you wouldn't have seen. Yeah. Or, you know, you hit a point where you're just like, I don't have an idea. Like, I just don't know what to do. And if you're sitting there alone, you're not necessarily going to be able to push yourself through that. So having someone you can look at and be like, Hey, I have no ideas. This is where we are. This is where I want to get to. Let's just talk for a while and see if anything like sparks. Um, and I, I think it's really important. And I, as a, I personally love that collaboration. So that's how the ideas flow for me. That's when I start to get excited is when I can bounce from another source that isn't me. Uh, So once I started doing that, my enjoyment and the things that I brought to the table were infinitely better than the few sessions before that when I tried to do it alone. Um, Yeah, 100%. I'm the same. I'm the same. And it's funny because like, I have a table where one of my favorite episodes was the one that just launched because they meet someone on a road and 42 minutes later we stop. Like it, that's all that happened. They literally <laughs> did nothing but meet someone on a road. Like they didn't get to anything I pl- you know, that's common in my world, but in the world we're running, but but um I forget that sometimes and I get all caught up in the 
all this other intrigue I've set up that we've forgotten about for 47 episodes or for whatever we're on. So, <laughs> but I, so I'm panicking the day before often or two days before. I'm just struggling. Same, 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 same. And yeah, Eli will sit down. We'll go on a walk and he will talk with me. And I'm really grumpy during it. I'm not the best during this process, but it's so <laughs> helpful to have that conversation and to be like, no, it can't be that way because, oh, <laughs> you know, and then I get an yeah. idea. Yeah. Well, that happened. I got really stuck on this idea. So they had to get into this castle that was like taken over and fortified. They had to save the queen. And I was stuck on, I want this one specific visual of this castle. Like I want to give this visual. And so I was like, well, they have to go to the castle so that we can get this visual. There's no other way that they can get in. And I was talking uh, to someone and we were talking about it. They're like, well, what if they got in this way? And I was like, well, that's a great idea, but I need this visual. And they were like, well, like do a, a large view and then zoom back into your party. You give the visual, but then we come back and you can do this crazy other way they go. And I was like, I would never have thought of that on my own. That's a great idea. So I opened the session slash episode with a whole narration, gave this big, like terrifying visual I really wanted because fairy tales are terrifying if you haven't read more original fairy tales. Uh, and then I zoomed in to where the players were and into the scene and they got into the castle through magic mirrors. But like I got the thing there and then they got to do this crazy mirror world that was so fun that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise if I hadn't talked to someone and then been like, yeah, you can do both, you know? <laughs> I was like, okay. I want to hear you this can... now, Russ. Russ, I want you to, sorry, I want you to do this, Russ. I want you to open the next episode on, they're approaching a place and we're a zoom out. It's a maze. It's a maze the size of a city. And then you pop back in and they're just in a tavern drinking. Mm-hmm. See, they have this fear now that one day I'm just going to flip a switch and be like, and you're back in the base here. There's the portal in the middle. And this whole last hundred episodes was just a ruse and you've been trapped there forever. Uh, so fun fact in my Witch Girls game, uh, we ended our season one and we thought we had like saved the day like we came in we saved the gorg like we saved all this stuff we were great and then we started the next season uh and we were in school again and it was all great and we did this thing we'll come to find out we were in a mind prison <laughs> and we didn't save nice. anybody but we did get captured and put in this shared dream state so i'm not going to alleviate any of your fears that it was actually a trap and you're in the maze <laughs> Well, just so you know, this is not I'll Russ's see. fear. This is Russ's hope. Russ's hope and dreams are that yeah. that's what's going to happen. I love mazes. <laughs> I, I love mazes. What if you what go There's just through, so many things that can happen. What if you go through the hedge entrance into a maze, secret garden style, and then it's like a mirror world. Like it's an opposites world. Mm, I like this. See, like this, this is why this you is talk good. to other people. They'll mm. give you crazy ideas. You know what? <laughs> We're, we're done with the podcast. This is just Sean, Tiffany, and Russ talk about ideas to mess with their players in their own podcast. Tom and Amy, send me a message. I'll send you some things to do to mess with Russ. Nope. <laughs> so that's cut from the podcast. <laughs> Editing room four. You. Um, okay. I think we answered all the questions plus the ones that we came up on our own there. How are we feeling about that? Good? I feel great. I feel awesome. That was great. amazing. Yeah. Um, let us know what you think. If we answered your question today, if you got something out of it, 
Let us know if you feel like we need to dive deeper into something. Also, let us know. You can join us on Discord. You can send us an email to dm2gmcast at gmail.com, um, where you can answer the three questions that we have. Sean, run down those one more time. I would be happy to. What game genre would you like to run? What system are you familiar with or do you want to use? And what hurdles are stopping you from running this game? And now thank you very much, Tiffany for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Again, you can find me on North by North Quest. It's NXN Quest on the Twitter sphere, or you can just follow my own shenanigans. It's RTS Cosplay Online. So please come talk with me about games. I would love it. Do it. Follow her. Go ask her about all the all the things. All we'll, the have things. All, we'll have all the links in the show notes. And I just want to say, this was you so bet. amazing and so lovely. And I loved your take on things. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk with other people, too, about it, because since I've started GMing, I've gotten a little bit more passionate. (laughs) We'll do it again soon, I'm sure. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you for listening to dm to gm If you have questions about getting your game started, send them to us, Russ and Sean. Our email is dm2gmcast at gmail.com. You can also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at dm2gmcast. You'll find all the links down in the description. In the meantime, get your game started. We'll talk to you soon. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. We're the narrators of Midst. What's Midst? It's very simple. It's a weird, surrealist, fourth-wall-breaking, reality-bending, science-fantasy space western about a small, doomed planet floating in a cosmic ocean of spooky darkness. Upon whose alien landscape, an ensemble cast of characters, including a crotchety outlaw, a freakishly virtuous cultist, and a diabolical businessman, make awful decisions and fight like hell to survive when the moon falls out of the sky and a large number of terrible things happen in rapid succession. It's exciting. It's funny. It's scary. It's got neat sound, weird music, amazing visuals, and every episode comes with bonus content. You can read and examine. Midst is performed solely by yours truly as the three of us narrate all the action, play all of the characters, and bend a lot of the rules about how telling stories is normally supposed to work. Midst is pretty fun, very strange, and it feels like VR for your brain. We believe you'll enjoy it, or maybe you won't, but there's really only one way to find out. You're going to have to listen to Midst.